0: And a delight to talk to you this week about service. This is a simple lesson, and I hope that's what you appreciated as you studied this week. This isn't hard to understand, this is simply um, living life the way Jesus did and living life the way he asks us to live. As we've studied these lessons the last few weeks, it's caused me to reflect if I were to have had the privilege to walk with Jesus, to learn directly from him, um, would I have gotten it, would I have embraced his teaching, would I have demonstrated wisdom and understanding or would I have been a little slow to get it, like we often see the disciples being a little slow? I like to think that I would have been wise and quick to believe and quick to understand, but my own walk, my own experience would suggest that I would probably be a lot more like the disciples. I've walked with Jesus just about my whole life since I was a very little girl. I have been surrounded by uh, people of great faith who have taught me and walked beside me, and yet I still find that I'm a lot like the disciples. Jesus described them once as foolish men who were slow of heart to believe, and that is often my own experience. As we studied this lesson, I was reminded of a few years ago, I had the great privilege to go to Brazil on a mission trip, and we were there with a group from Christ Chapel, and we were going into neighborhoods that are incredibly impoverished, they're slums, they're called favelas, and leading vacation Bible schools and helping local ministries there. And while we were leading Vacation Bible School every morning, there were a group of women who lived in the favelas. These were the mothers, and we were serving their children. And they would come every morning, and all morning long, while we led Vacation Bible School, they were preparing a hot lunch for us. And I have to tell you, they didn't have great kitchen facilities. Um, what they were working with would have challenged us Immensely. They certainly didn't have air conditioning and they didn't have the convenient products of paper plates and plastic utensils or anything like that but every day they served and they worked so hard and they prepared a beautiful meal for us and delivered it to us with great joy. They just treated us with respect and honor. So part of our plan was the last day we were going to have a foot washing service and we were going to have a Brazilian pastor there and an American pastor to read this passage of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and we were going to honor these women by serving them and washing their feet. Well, I was asked to be a foot washer and I immediately responded, yes, I think I should do that. I think God wants me to do that. Of course, I can do it. But as the moment approached, I'm going to be honest with you, I got a little uncomfortable. And here's what I was thinking. Wow, for me, this is a little uncomfortable. I'm kind of reserved. I'm in her personal space. For me, this is kind of intimate. I'm touching her feet. For me, this is a little awkward because people are watching. Do you hear it? Me, 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 blah, blah, blah. I know that's what it sounded like to God. So, as I knelt at her feet and the pastor started reading the beautiful words of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, for the first time I looked up in that woman's face and she was weeping. She was weeping because someone was serving her. And in that instant, God showed me how foolish and slow of heart that I was. And in that instant, He said, Amy, it's not about you, it's about her and it's about me, and get over yourself. Because it's a privilege for you to get to act like Jesus. As we walk with Jesus, we are constantly confronted with his call to look at life his way not our way. His call to be redefining and redirecting our lives because the way we approach life on our own is almost always radically different than the way he wants us to approach it. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more blown away I am by the perfection of his way and the inadequacy of my own. 1 John 2.16 says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eye, and the boasting of what he has and does, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. God kept showing the disciples, and he keeps showing us, that our way of thinking is... Clouded by pride and our own selfish desires and even our lust. So, as we walk with Jesus, just like the disciples, He keeps redirecting us and He keeps redefining the things in our lives that we thought we understood. In this instance, in these teachings, He's redefining all their ideas about service. So, in your study this week, you looked at three examples of Jesus teaching His disciples about service, and like a great teacher, He leads. By demonstrating, he leads by living his life this way. Over and over again, we see Jesus living a life of servanthood, a life of pouring himself out for his followers, and a life of laying aside his glory and his power. What happens in John 13, when Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, is part of a collection of teachings. It's actually three lessons. And these are the three lessons that Jesus taught in the upper room the night before he was arrested and later crucified. So these are Jesus' farewell instructions to his disciples. This is what he thought was most important for them to hear as he is about to leave them and no longer physically walk with them. And those three lessons together are all interconnected. They're all about love and they're about service and they're about relying completely on God. And they're all so important to be connected together because if we aren't completely relying on God, relying on him fully, then our love and our service is ineffective and we can't fully love or serve. So I'm going to start out by reading from John 13, the first five verses. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. I thought it was so beautiful that John starts this narrative um, talking about Jesus showing them the full extent of his love. One translation says he loved them to the last. He's serving them because he loves them. Our love must always be the starting point for our service to others. And his service in this instant, it looks like teaching them, taking care of their physical needs, equipping them for future ministry, and ultimately his love for them is going to look like dying on the cross for them. Our service always has to be motivated by the same love. If that's not our motivation, it's just useless energy, and it has no value in God's kingdom. In John 15, which is also part of that upper room discourse, he's talking about, apart from me, you can do nothing. Everything has to come from our love relationship from God. Service without love is simply useless. I think it's also important that John tells us the things that Jesus knew. He knew things that the disciples didn't know. As he sat down at that table, he knew that God had granted him all power. He could have stopped it all if he wanted it. Jesus knew that his rightful place was at the right hand of God in heaven. And Jesus knew that very soon he was returning to heaven and he would be surrounded by the heavenly host who would give him nonstop worship and glory and praise. Jesus knows he is the king of kings and yet he's willing to get up and step away from the table. He's willing to strip off his clothes and become a servant. I think it's so important to understand the culture of the day. A seat at the table was a sign of significance. It wasn't unusual to be invited to the dinner but not invited to sit at the table. Remember they reclined? There wasn't always room for everyone at the table. So the most significant guest had a seat. But Jesus, in this instance, is redefining significance he's telling them that they've had it wrong and he's showing them his way of looking at it. Significance to us in our culture and in their culture also it means you have value and worth and importance. It probably means you possess fame, money, possessions, power, position. In Jesus' day, you were significant if you had a seat at the table. For a host to provide someone to wash your feet was a great sign of significance. It was a way for a host to honor you. The host would never perform this menial task himself. He would pay to have a servant do it, and if he couldn't afford a servant, he might have the youngest child in his home wash the guest's feet. But he would never do it himself. So we see Jesus taking on a role here that nobody else wanted and we also see him repeating a pattern that he repeats over and over and over and the pattern is leaving his place of honor, leaving his place of significance in order to, in order to serve. When he takes off his clothes, you see him stripping away all the outward symbols of significance. He's taking off the clothing of a free man and he's putting on the, the minimal clothing of a slave as he walks away from the table. And when he takes off that clothing, he's revealing a servant's heart. A humble, true, loving servant's heart. And God says this is significant. It's a humble servant's heart that really has significance. From Philippians 2 on your verse sheet, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Here you see Jesus humbling himself with the minimal clothing of a servant, a towel wrapped around his waist, and you also see him humbling himself with the posture of the lowest servant. If he's going to wash their feet, he's on the ground and he's kneeling at their feet. I can't help but be overwhelmed with this visual of the incarnate Word of God, the King of Kings, who humbled himself by putting on flesh and living among us, now on the ground, kneeling at the feet of his servants. And I have to think, and this is Bible fiction, but I have to think he isn't sitting there on the ground thinking about himself like I did. It's not me, me, me in that moment. Jesus is demonstrating true significance here and true service. Let's read on, beginning in verse 5, excuse me, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, Not everyone was clean. Well, I love that Peter's consistent. He always acts um, in the way we sort of expect Peter to act. Um, Peter expects to proclaim and honor and worship a Messiah king. And Peter thinks this is undignified. This is too menial and this is too insignificant for Jesus to perform this task. So Peter is refusing to receive service. Peter wants to worship a king and to be attached to a king who demonstrates worldly greatness and worldly significance. I think Peter perhaps wants to be the powerful right-hand man to that king. He certainly doesn't want to be a man in need, a man of need, in need of receiving this humble service. <clears throat> Peter doesn't want Jesus to take on that menial role, and Peter doesn't want to take on that insignificant role. You see, Jesus had a different set of expectations for his disciples. Instead of them being exalted and lifted up and glorified leaders because of their close tie to the king, the disciples needed to learn their need and their dependence for a savior. Just like everyone else, if the disciples are going to teach the world that they need a savior, the disciples have to experience it also. They must acknowledge that they are powerless to save themselves and that they are powerless to live a life of ministry if they aren't humbly attached to Jesus and his service. They have to be reminded that apart from him, they can do nothing. If they don't acknowledge that, their ministry will be completely ineffective. And it's the same for us. We have to be reminded that we need to stay dependent on Jesus We can also learn here that God ordains specific times for us to serve, and God also ordains specific times for us to receive service from others. This was Peter's time to be served, and his resistance is really resisting the authority and the work of God. We know that we're supposed to live as an expression of the body of Christ, and that means both serving and being served. And that's God's ordering of things. So when we view ourselves as too significant to have a need, too significant to receive service, we're handicapping the whole body of Christ, we're circumventing the plans of God, and we are resisting the authority of God that he has given to someone who's supposed to be serving us. So significance in God's kingdom also includes submitting to his plan and receiving service from others. It's a posture of humble need that also is what God says is significant. So of course Peter, in typical Peter fashion, does a big flip-flop and he says, oh, okay, then wash all of me, head to toe. But Jesus knows exactly what Peter needs. Jesus knows exactly what we all need. He knows that his faith is there, that Peter just simply needs to be reminded that a humble posture, always needing to draw on God's strength, is what Peter needs. Jesus knows the hearts of all of us, and he even knows the heart of Judas. I'm going to read on in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus is making sure they aren't slow of heart. It's just like when you grab your little toddler's face and say, do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I've done for you? He's asking them. And he refers to himself as both teacher and master. And in their culture, the role of teacher, the role of master, those were significant positions to be in. He says, you serve, you do this because your teacher has taught you and demonstrated it. And he says, you serve and you do this because your master has commanded you to do it. He says it very clearly there, you should do as I have done. Now, I think it's really important to add a little side note here. If you're sitting out there today thinking, oh, I don't have the spiritual gift of service. This lesson's for somebody else. (laughs) This is not what you need to read into this passage right here. Jesus hasn't eliminated anybody. You should do as I have done. Service is for all of us. It's for everyone in the church, not just those who've been called or given the gift of service. So don't think you get a path here today if that's not your spiritual gift. If the teacher and master can humble himself and serve, then his followers could too. And he uses very bold language when he says, you should do as I have done. Our whole Christian life is about reproducing the actions of Jesus and reproducing the attitudes of Jesus. And he's showing us we have to be willing to take off our uh, things that demonstrate significance and power and lay them aside and we should be willing to act like Jesus. And our gracious God, he doesn't have to do this, but he comes back in and he promises a blessing when we behave this way. It doesn't say, you will be blessed now that you know these things. It says the opposite. It's conditional. It says, now that you know these things, if you do them, you will be blessed. You will be blessed when you live the way you were created to live. You were created to serve others. You were created to pour out God's blessing on the world. And that's what brings you satisfaction and contentment and peace. And that's what brings you God's version of happiness, which is blessing. So Jesus in this passage demonstrates taking off the outer signs of significance and demonstrating a truly humble servant's heart and he redefines significance. In Matthew 20, he teaches them a new lesson about service. In Matthew 20, he's going to redefine their ideas about leadership and authority. Let's read Matthew 20, see in its verse 20 to 28. This is a mother's request so the mothers out there can appreciate this story. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it that you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the other ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Several times in the book of Matthew and in several other of the gospel accounts, the disciples are discussing among themselves or sometimes arguing among themselves this issue of greatness in God's kingdom. And perhaps it's out of their great love for Jesus that they want to be among his greatest. Or perhaps it's because of selfish ambition. Or perhaps it's a blending of both. Either way, Jesus always redirects and redefines it. In their defense, right before this argument surfaces, Jesus has been talking to them about his heavenly kingdom. And he has even referred to 12 thrones that they will all sit on. So I think we don't need to be quite so harsh to condemn them for wondering if they're going to have a throne and if it's going to be right next to Jesus, because he's given them some information that they don't yet understand. But Jesus responds to their questions about where they will sit in heaven, like a great teacher with more questions, and then his answers redefine the lines of authority. They redefine their view of leadership. He asks that famous question, can you Drink the cup I am going to drink. That's the question for everyone who wants to be a leader in God's kingdom. It's can you serve? Can you lay aside your personal desires and instead embrace the desires of God? Can you handle the consequences with unwavering faith no matter what? That's what Jesus is asking when he asks, can you drink the cup? They think leadership is about a place of honor, but Jesus is showing them leadership is about self-sacrifice and leadership is about service. Driving in my car one day, I listened to a program on NPR, and they were talking about life for um, military cadets who live at West Point and how just... Everything they do is about teaching them how to lead and how to serve. And those that had been identified as officers, 24 hours a day, they're teaching them that the biggest job of an officer is to serve the men who are below them, even down to the mealtime. The officers don't eat first. They don't take a position of significance. They let their men eat first, and they come in after. They're trying to create just this natural instinct of always putting the needs of the men first. And hopefully the byproduct of that is the men will choose to respect and follow unquestioningly those leaders because they know that they're trustworthy and they know that they're selfless. And as I listened to that program that day, I thought about this passage and I thought, wow, West Point studied Jesus' leadership training. They got that out of the Bible. I wonder if they know that. (laughs) But that's why we trust Jesus. Because he has served us, because he has sacrificed himself for us, because we know his love for us is true, and it makes it easy for us to follow him. This is true leadership. And he tells them it doesn't look anything like the leadership you've seen. It doesn't look like lording it over. It doesn't look like exercising authority over people. That is your human perspective, but he's redefining that perspective here. And he says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to To give his life as a ransom for many. This is one of the very first times that Jesus explains the purpose of his death. He's told them that he was going to die, but he hasn't yet told them why. And in this instance, he tells them it's to pay a ransom for his followers. You see, leadership in God's kingdom comes through service, and Jesus demonstrated this all through his life. In Luke 22, he says, I am among you as one who serves. In Mark 9, he says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. When I read that, I underlined the servant of all. And I thought, how often do we like to think that we're going to choose who gets our service? We're going to choose who benefits from what we have to offer. And I was struck by servant of all. Clearly, we don't get to choose who we're going to serve We're willing to serve all, and God's going to decide. It's our job to have a sensitive spirit and to listen to the way he directs us. He'll whisper his instructions in our ear. He will prompt us where he wants us to serve in divine ways. And then he will equip us with his creativity and his energy to do the job. And then he will actually come back in afterwards and even redeem the time that you've spent there. So we don't get up in the morning And tell God what we're going to do for him and ask him to bless us. That's not a servant's heart. That's somebody who's doing service. And there's a big difference. God doesn't ask you to do service. He asks you to be a servant of all. So I think we need to focus on being sensitive to letting God direct us and letting God show us where he wants us to serve. That's a servant's heart and that's the making of a great leader. So as Jesus prepares his disciples for a life of ministry and leadership, he's teaching them their goal is to serve, not to rule, not to argue over who will have power, but instead to serve. You see, service actually transforms us. Service equips us to lead the way God would want us to lead. So often in scriptures, you may have noticed this, when God calls a person to a big task or a big job, they are usually not adequate for the job initially. They don't possess the skills they need. If you think about it, Moses was not a bold and articulate speaker. Gideon was not a man of great courage. The list goes on and on. But when the servant's heart says, yes, God, I'll do it, and they step in and they start serving, God starts transforming them. God starts converting them to the person who is qualified to do the work. God equips them to be, he makes them the right person for the job. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So service transforms us. In service we develop the grace of humility, Humility is required if we're going to make wise and discerning decisions about the best interest of other people. In service, our selfish desires are transformed to the desires of God. And in service, we become incredibly aware of our need and our reliance on God. And when we're aware of that and we're aware of God meeting those needs, our love and our joy and our devotion for God grows and increases, and that just becomes the well from which we draw so that we can continue to love and serve others. So service fits us for leadership. It's not the other way around. We become leaders through our service. And the last passage we looked at was in Matthew 25. We'll start in uh, verse 31. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. You looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger needing clothes or sick or in prison, and didn't help you? He will say, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. In this passage on service, Jesus is redefining our purpose. The judgment that the people are experiencing here, I think it's important to understand This isn't uh, the judgment that the church, that believers are going to experience. This is a very specific time he's talking about. The Bible promises that Jesus will come back one day and take all of the believers out of the world, and the non-believers will be left for a period of seven years called the Tribulation. This judgment is what happens at the end of the seven-year period of Tribulation for the people who were left behind. This is a judgment for the non-Jews who survived that seven-year period of time. And the judgment is simple. Did they serve? Did they take care of others? For the, did they care for the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the prisoner? It's important to note he's not saying here that their work or their service is what saves them, but instead their service, their care for others is the proof that God has redeemed their hearts. Did they serve? It's the proof of their faith. It's the proof of their relationship with Jesus. Matthew 7:16 says, By their fruit you will recognize them. If they did serve, they will be welcomed into Jesus' fellowship. They will hear those beautiful words, Come, you who are blessed. And I love that we saw the word blessed there because back in John 13, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he says, Now that you've learned these things, You will be blessed if you do them. Here's the blessing. It's the eternal relationship with God. You know that ancient philosophers had a series of questions that they would ask. They're called the enduring questions. And one of those is, why do we exist? All the different world philosophies are kind of based, this is the foundation. Why do we exist? And today we would rephrase that probably, what is my purpose? In this passage, Jesus is making it very clear what their purpose is. He's redefining it. He's saying we don't exist to serve ourselves, but we exist to pour ourselves out for others, and we do it as an offering to our king. When we serve, it's all for Jesus, and it's the proof of his redeeming work in our hearts. When you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Our service is an offering to Jesus, and it is what we were called and created to do. Mark 9.37 says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. As I read this, I thought, how often do I not listen when God prompts me to serve in some way, and when I do that, I'm withholding an offering to Jesus. And that breaks my heart, and it sobers me, and it makes me think a little differently about those moments when Jesus whispers in my ear and shows me someone to serve because this is why we exist. This is why we're here. And Jesus promises that we're blessed when we live in a way that fulfills this purpose, not the purpose of serving and satisfying ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. A grateful heart that recognizes all that Jesus has done for them. That recognizes that we have been redeemed and healed. That grateful heart responds with gratitude and action. Because you see, Jesus heals us when he offers us salvation. And our joyful response should be a heart of service. One author said it this way, Christians are risen people whose vocation is now to serve. For the many Christians then uh, who lost sight of their vocation and their purpose, and for us who every day struggle to hold on to our purpose, Jesus is redefining it and telling us that our purpose is to serve and to glorify him. As I read this, I kept thinking, we live in such a unique time. We have access to so much great information. There are phenomenal teachers and preachers and pastors. There always have been great teachers and preachers and pastors, but now we can go to the Internet and we can find their sermons and their teachings and their lessons. We could spend day after day after day doing nothing but sitting on our computers and hearing great teaching, being fed spiritually. We have Christian publishing houses. We have great Christian bookstores. We have churches like Christ Chapel with amazing teaching ministries. We can build our lives around being fed. But God doesn't tell us that that's our purpose. Our purpose is to do something with what we've been fed with and to go out and to serve. And as I studied this, I can't help but think, if I'm just getting fed all the time, what does that mean? I think it makes me spiritually fat. And I don't think we're supposed to be spiritually fat. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to lose weight or struggled with having extra fat, but the only way to get rid of it is to expend a little energy. If you're spiritually fat... You need to serve. You need to expend a little energy. And I think most of us are probably spiritually fat just because we live in this privileged time and this privileged place and we are fed spiritually all the time. So I think it would be tragic to spend this week studying this lesson and to listen to this teaching today and not look at that balance in your life. How much am I fed and how much energy is going out because Jesus is telling us your purpose is to be out there expending some energy. Richard Foster writes about service in his um, uh, classic book, Celebration of Discipline. He says service is one of the spiritual disciplines that every believer should be practicing, not just those who have the gift of service. And he writes quite a bit about the difference between serving and being a servant. He comments that most of the time, God is not prompting us to the big, grand service project, the big act of service. But most of the time, God is prompting us to the ministry of small things, the ministry of daily service. And that's exactly what Ted talked about on Sunday. I loved it when he asked you to think about the people who had an influence on your life. They aren't people who did one big grand thing. They're the people who invested in your life over and over and over again. It's the collection of small things that influences people. And when we look at the whole of our lives, I doubt it's going to be one thing that defines us. It will be the collection of small daily service opportunities. So I want you to consider the ministry of... Small things, this is equally important, perhaps more important than the big events. And I'm not downplaying the big events, God calls us to those things too. But He calls us every minute of every day to live this life of service. I've listed some of Richard Foster's um, ideas there uh, for the ministry of small things, and I think it's so important to pay attention to these. He lists courtesy as a service in a busy, hectic, inconvenient world, it is a service to be courteous and to breathe God's grace into the busyness of it all. He lists hospitality, again, our busy world, to invite someone to come into your home and be refreshed for a little while. He mentions charity, but he doesn't describe charity as taking care of people less fortunate. He describes charity as protecting the honor and the reputation of other people. And he often says we do this best through our words or through our lack of words. Um, So, consider that as you're talking among your friends and the talk becomes unproductive, um, uh, unhelpful things, that you're saying to close your mouth is an act of service. To honor someone and speak well of them is an act of service. It's a daily ministry of service. He talks about listening is a service. Somebody came into my office. A really, really hard day. I had major deadlines stacked up. And I was actually trying to get to the airport (laughs) on time. And I had a string of people come in just needing to talk about something. The third person who came in says, I know you're busy. I just need a minute. And I actually said to her, I can give you five minutes. That's it. (laughs) And she said, okay, that's all I'll take. And she starts telling me a story. And tears fill her eyes. And I think, my goodness. Who am I to sit here and say, I can give you five minutes? (laughs) She needs somebody to listen. Listening is something you have an opportunity to do every day, and it's a spiritual service. Also, prayer. Bearing someone's burden to God on their behalf, that is service. Don't just say, I'll pray for you. Stop right there, put your hand on them, and pray for them in that moment. If you're on the phone, pray on the phone for them. Sharing the words of life with someone else. That's encouragement. As they sit there bearing their burden, and you can speak truth from this word, that is true encouragement, and that is spiritual service. And he lists one other thing. It's the ability to be served. You allow the body of Christ to function the way it's supposed to when you allow others to serve you in your time of need. Those are such simple things. They are the ministry of small things, but collectively they make up the life of a true and humble servant. I started out telling you about that trip to Brazil. That certainly wasn't a ministry of small things. It was a big, grand event, and it was God-directed. But one thing about one of those trips that really stands out in my mind Bible school one morning, we were particularly swamped on on those kinds of trips. Twice as many children always show up, as you expect, and then every day they bring their friends, and more and more come. This day was busy and hectic. For the volunteers there, it was all hands on deck. We were pretty much having to take care of 50 or 60 kids at a time. All morning, I kept noticing one of our volunteers just walking around, holding this little girl. She was tiny, maybe three or four And just kind of rocking and petting and loving her. And I kept thinking, wow, as busy as we are with all these hundreds of children, there must be something unique in that situation. that She's given her whole morning to that one child. Kept watching it all day. Finally, she came over and carried the child. And she said to me in English, the child couldn't understand, she's a really tough one. She's a really hard one. She just needs to be loved. Okay, I reached out to stroke her head, and a volunteer caught my hand and stopped me and said, Oh, you don't want to touch her. She's crawling with lice. From head to toe, she's covered in lice. And I just sat there thinking, Wow, I doubt that volunteer got up that morning in Brazil and said, God, I'm going to sacrifice my health and my comfort to you today. I'm going to expose myself to lice. Come in and bless My efforts. That's not how her day started. She just walked in that place and she listened when God put it on her heart to love that little girl. She walked into the situation that God presented and she served from a humble servant's heart. And it was a ministry of such a small thing, but I know it was a huge and a beautiful offering to lay at the feet of Jesus. And it influenced me forever. How many examples of Jesus do we have where he is performing these small daily ministries? I know you could think of a long list. I thought of when he pulls that little insignificant child close and says, this is significant. I thought of when that crush of a big crowd was pressing on him and he noticed the touch of one needy woman who needed healing. What about when he condescends to speak to the woman with the terrible reputation at the Well, What about all the times he's pulling his disciples away, away from the crowd to a quiet place where he can teach them and encourage them and pray for them? What about the times that he sees the cripple, the beggar, the blind person at the city gate that for years everybody else has been stepping over and ignoring because they aren't significant? When Jesus walked on this earth, he served and he taught his followers that they were to serve also, and he demonstrated this ministry of daily service. He showed us how we should live, and he told us we should live this way too. We should follow his example. He defined significance for us. He defined leadership. He defined our purpose. On Sunday, every member of Christ Chapel will have the opportunity to perform service in the name of God, in the name of Jesus. I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to glorify God in our community this way. I want to encourage you to draw deep from the well of love that Jesus has lavished on you and to give it away, to respond with gratitude and action. And then I want to challenge you not to stop on Sunday service is not something we do with our whole church one day a year. Don't stop after one day of service, but consider how you might continue to live the ministry of daily service, remembering that you are a Christian, you are healed, and you are risen in order to serve like Jesus served. Let's pray. Holy God and mighty Savior, it seems inadequate to just say thank you for your service to us. It seems like we can never do enough to respond to what you've done for us, to leaving your glory and your honor and to walking on this earth with us and teaching us and serving us and dying for our sins. We offer you our thanks and our praise and our gratitude, even though it will never be enough. I thank you for your word. Thank you that your teaching continues even though we aren't the disciples who you walked with. We have your teaching and we have your Holy Spirit. My prayer is that we can hold on to it, that we can claim it as our own, that we can walk in the purpose that you've created for us. Lord, my prayer is that we rely fully on you, your love, your strength. That's what sustains us, Lord. I pray that we rely on that and we serve in our world both in big and small ways and that we do it all for your glory and your honor and your praise. ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.